Just a quick note before we start the interview. There is discussion of childhood trauma and mention of a rape in this episode that could be triggering to people. So I just wanted to give you a little heads up. I hope you'll listen. It's a wonderful conversation and it's not graphic in any way. So thank you for joining us today and on to the interview. We get so stuck on that we should be, you know, we should stay on one path. But mm. I always tell everybody, you know, I, like my best advice for some, you know, young women, especially, you don't have to have your life figured out by the time you're 25 or 30 or yeah. 40 or 50. Like, really? Right. There's right. no right or wrong. What You figure out what's best for you. I never really, not that my parents, not that my family pushed me. It's just. I, I wish somebody would have said that to me. Hello, friends, and welcome to Curiously Wise, Practical Spirituality in Action. I'm Lauren Wittig, your host. And today I've got Dr. Ann Katona Lynn with me, and she has just published her first book. She's had a chapter in another book, but this is her first solo book. And, you know, I'm an author. I'm a fangirl of authors. So I'm really excited to talk about a book for, for a change. And let me tell you a little bit about Anne. Dr. Ann Katana Lynn is a passionate educational coach and leader who has dedicated her career to helping schools and communities develop safe, supportive, and positive school climates for children and teachers. She's received multiple awards for her expertise in classroom management, mental health, and special education. Her new book, Shedding Lies, Living Beyond Childhood Trauma, released on March 8th, but today is the official launch day. And she is currently, I just looked this up before we got on here. She is at Amazon. Her book is number one in the family and personal growth list, number two in the behavior list, and number two in the depression list. And that is freaking awesome. So mm -hmm. I'm very happy to bring Anne Katona Lynn here to talk about this great book. Hi, Anne. Hi. Thank you so much, Lauren. Thanks for having me. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You and I have met a couple of times online. We're in a, a class together that that I just learned is a, a year-long thing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I, I feel like I've gotten to know you a little bit in that in that place, but but I'm really looking forward to talking to you. I know this book is about your own childhood. And so that's gonna be very interesting. So tell us a little bit about why you wrote the story. Yeah. So I am I'm a special educator by training and a behavior analyst. And I've worked with kids with special needs really for many, many years. And the last several years, I have done a lot more work ar around uh, supporting schools in with specifically around trauma sensitive. So I was a state project director for Safe Schools Healthy Students. And from that, we were doing piloting trauma sensitive schools. And so the more we dove into that, I started sharing my story more. And as I did it, I actually started sharing it in trainings that I was doing because I had my own childhood trauma that really impacted me and I remember all of it. So I've always had in the back of the, my mind that I thought I should share it because I didn't look like, you know, a lot of kids that maybe had trauma, you know, that kind of a, a poster child that people would think of like, oh, they've been through a lot of trauma. I was very subtle. Things were very underneath the radar. And so I I fell through the cracks in many, many ways. And so because of that, 
I really thought that, you know, I need to share my story. And, and I've heard other teens and, and well, I'm not a teen, but I'd heard, I'd been to conferences where there were teens sharing how, you know, they may have been successful in school and they talked about though their mental health struggles. And so I'm like, oh, that was very much me. And so I, and I've done a lot of work on myself and I really have come out on the other side. So I wanted to, you know, I just, I knew that there was, there were a lot of things that a lot of people that just didn't have a whole lot of hope or were really struggling with, with different things. And so the more I shared my story, people were like, you need to write a book. And then in 2019, my husband fell 30 feet off of a roof and yeah, survived. And actually that's our next book. (laughs) And there were so many miracles and so many things that came out of that. And from that, everyone was saying, oh, you guys need to write a book. And so it's, it's been coming out for a while. I actually had a publisher ask me to write one several years ago. And I just, I didn't, I was in the middle of my doctorate and I just, I, I wasn't ready for it. And so it was really perfect timing. And I did a self-publishing webinar. And in that, what, in that one webinar, I finished my mind map. And I was like, whoa, for my book. So I'm like, okay, I guess I'm writing a book. And so that's kind of where it went from there. Very cool. Yeah. Yeah. I, I have done a lot of work around childhood trauma myself because I grew up with anybody who heard me talk at all knows I share regularly a narcissistic mother and an alcoholic father. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So there was a lot of, of that emotional, you know, kind of trauma. It was, mm-hmm. I was not physically ever harmed. Right. I, you know, I never was without a house over, uh, you know, a roof over my head and plenty to eat and went yeah. to good schools and, you know, all of that kind of stuff. And yet there was still this trauma that I didn't even realize was traumatic until I got into college and got depressed, had to start digging into it. Yeah. So it's, it's really, I think it's really valuable to share these stories. Yeah. Because first of all, it gives the story a purpose. Right. It's what happened to you, a purpose. Mm-hmm. And I know that I teach best what I've had to learn myself. Yeah. So, yeah. so I just want to thank you for taking the time and putting this down where yeah. people can read it who are not working directly with you. Right, right. Yeah. And, and I had a car accident when I was a child, when I was four. And that was kind of a big piece, you know. So, and at the time, they wouldn't allow families to stay with you in the hospital. Mm-hmm. So I was alone in the hospital only except for visiting hours that my mom and my sister would come and visit my oldest sister. And so I was, I remember all of it, like it's a movie. And so we're talking, you know, 50 plus years ago and I ended up having full-blown PTSD, you know, and I can tell you specifically the triggers, you know, all Mm -hmm. of those things. So that, that I think more than anything, if it was, if it wasn't so, crystal in terms of having an an accident that really triggered a lot of it, I probably wouldn't have really looked at it. Yeah. yeah, Until much later. But I think because I did know that I had PTSD from a young age. Well, as soon as I, they started really talking about post-traumatic stress disorder with people other than vets, you know, people back from war. So, so yeah, it's, you know, there are a lot of things that that can trigger it. And we, you know, for me, it was, like you said, it was a little bit easier because it was more clear. It was mm-hmm. a clear cut 
incident that started it. There were other contributing factors, you know, kind of what you talked about, those different things that that are subtle that you often don't realize. And and I realized those things later, but from a really early age, I knew that I had post-traumatic stress disorder. So mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so when you were a kid, how did this express in you? I, I've heard you talk a little bit before about when you were in school and that, that part of your life. So just help us see the picture of what that was like yeah. for you. Yeah. So at the time of the accident, there were thunderstorms happening and also obviously things related to a car. So the specific triggers for me were a thunderstorm, you know, and I was like a little weather girl. I would mm-hmm. watch the the clouds in the summer and I I would always I wouldn't go to things where I was I didn't have a safe adult with me. So like during the summer, I didn't play softball because that would mean I would have to stay home with my dad and I couldn't be with my mom. Luckily, my mom worked at a pool and she was able to bring me with her. So but I really kind of arranged my life, you know, even though I was a kid and didn't have a whole lot of choices of things, I was able to make that choice not to, you know, play softball as an example, you know, that would put me in a situation where I would have, I would be triggered and I would have a full-blown panic attack. And that's what happened was I would have really bad panic attacks. I couldn't, I couldn't control them. It was fight flight. You know, I, I was... I was really freaking out and my mom and my two oldest sisters especially were my safe people. And so I I always had to be somewhere near them. Mm. So that kind of socially limited me, at least in the summer at times. But luckily, like I said, my mom, you know, ran a swim program at an amusement park with a big Mm. pool. So I had, I was able to be social and be with all my friends and you know, just really have a lot of freedom and have a lot of fun that were, that was a huge protective factor. So that was, that was all great. But, you know, again, that, that limiting, that was one piece. And then being in a car with somebody that I didn't feel comfortable with. So example, my, my sister who is, I'm the youngest of seven and there are six kids in eight years and years younger than the youngest. So my sister, who is next up for me, Lisa, I remember when she was learning to drive, she had her permit. So I was eight years old and we were coming home from my mom's work and we were all drive. You know, my mom was driving and she was going to let Lisa drive the rest of the way home and pulled over on the side of the road. And I remember I was like, nope, I, I was, I got out of the car. I Mm. was not going to let, I wasn't going to be in the car with somebody who was, you know, a new driver, I was, there was no way I had to be with somebody who was a consistent driver and who already had those skills. Mm -hmm. Uh, Whereas when she was learning, uh, I, I couldn't, I couldn't do it. So those were, you know, again, and any situation related to like a thunderstorm. I remember I went to Girl Scout camp one time and my mom wasn't there and I freaked out. So I remember every single time that I had a panic attack, like, you know, it just, it's stared in my brain. And so all of those were some of the things. And I had a lot of attachment issues. My mom, you know, I was always, always afraid that people were going to abandon me. So I remember we, if we had to stay after school because we got in trouble, like the whole class, 
it wasn't even me. It was it was everybody. Mm-hmm. I remember those days. <laughs> yeah. And my mom worked at a light. She was a librarian at a school close by, like a couple blocks away. At the end of the day, I would walk up to the school, to the library and go meet her. I was afraid that she was going to leave me. Mm-hmm. I had a lot of abandonment issues, a lot of abandonment issues. And, you know, again, that emotional neglect that I didn't, I didn't honestly, probably just a few years ago, I realized this childhood emotional neglect. Uh, Dr. John C. Webb has done a lot of um, work on that area. It's very subtle in that if we're not able to, if we're not giving as adults, giving kids the emotional support and, and, you know, just engagement that they need, that it can really have an impact. And for me, because of the fact that I had post-traumatic stress disorder, it compounded the whole thing. Mm-hmm. So, so those were some of the things in childhood, you know, again, separation anxiety. I remember if we even stayed overnight for like, if we went away for a basketball tournament and stayed overnight with like a host family, I was just very, you know, I just would have panic attacks. And so it was difficult for me to stay elsewhere. Mm. And then I started drinking around the age of 14. And I grew up in central Pennsylvania, kind of coal region area. It was normal for us to drink and, and it was not a red flag. And I realized, you know, again, later I realized that the drinking that I did was self-medicating yeah. my panic attacks and the, and the PTSD. So I didn't, you know, I was like, oh, great. It's gone. I don't have it anymore. I grew out of it. That's what I thought. Mm-hmm. I didn't. And then 33 years old, I started, I decided I went to a retreat actually, and really just had an awakening that I wanted to change kind of some things in my life. And I decided to become celibate. And I was, you know, and I was like, oh, let me, let me see if I could quit drinking. And I did. And no problem. And then all of a sudden I started having panic attacks again. Mm. And, you know, God's like, you've tried to do this on your own. Now mm-hmm. it's time to do it with my help and mm-hmm. professional help. Mm-hmm. And so I really did a lot of, I just, I spent seven years alone and I, and I, and I almost feel uncomfortable saying alone because I wasn't really, it's, it just was, mm-hmm. I was single is a better mm-hmm. way to say it, you know, by choice. And I just wanted to focus on taking care of myself. And, and I did, you know, a lot of healing. I did therapy finally, you know, and this is 33 years old. And so, you know, all of those things kind of were the beginning of the healing. But even in my early 20s, I was raped and it was by someone that I had dated. And I think partly because of my lack of self-esteem, I was very needy in relationships and I really had a lot of abandonment issues that I thought I did something. Like I really blamed myself a lot for a lot of things. And so I, I had this, I'm not worthy that was the story I told myself my entire life. And so I think it it kind of set me up to be raped and then not, you know, press charges or do anything. And I, I filed a report, but I didn't press charges. So, you know, all of those things, you know, I just didn't have stable relationships and I was very needy. And then I, I finally got married at 41 after I had done a lot of work. And so I felt actually worthy at that time. But leading up to that, it, it was 
you know, those were kind of the biggest things, the biggest areas that it impacted me. So let's talk a little bit about that emotional neglect aspect, because yeah. what, what, you know, in the moment, how would you identify a child who was, who was experiencing that? So it's, it's, it's difficult because it just is not, you may not see anything specific and it's really, it's the, it's an act of omission, meaning it's that we're not giving the child something that they're needing. So it could be emotional support. One thing actually that is a lot has come up in the research is something called serve and return. So when an infant or child, when they make noises, when they say something, they look at you. When an adult, that's so when a child does that, that's a serve. And when the adult responds to them, you know, and says, oh, yeah, you're looking at the ball. Here's the ball. And oh, you want, you know, you're smiling at me. Oh, that's so great. You know, whatever it is that we do, when we engage with the, the child, that helps to build their their neurological framework and really, you know, kind of strengthens their their brain structure. And so it's like I said, because it's an active omission, it's a lot more subtle. Mm. So it may look like kids, you know, kids doing a lot of else isolated play, not having an adult read to them, you know, not not able to really talk to a child and let them express their emotions. So in, in my situation, we didn't talk about things. It was it was 1970 when this all happened. It's let's just let's act like it didn't happen and let's not talk about it and it'll go away and it does it. So, you know, it there the intentions are good. It's just that that technically does damage mm-hmm. and that we're not providing the support. So for my in my case it was not talking about it, not letting me know what my family was going through. You know, the fact that they were also traumatized. And then, you know, I I never had any treatment. It just was because, again, that's what we did. It it wasn't a normal thing, though. We recognize, like I said, a a lot of the the more latent damage that that does to kids. Yeah. 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 It was. Yeah. I you know, there's there's especially if you're an only child, which I basically was, I was raised with an uncle who's eight years older than me. So he was a teenager, you know, by the time I was seven. So it was just kind of normal for me to go hide in my room and read and, you know, and, and, and I had a imaginary imagination that just ran wild all the time. You know? Yeah. Well, that's I can good. entertain myself. So, you know, there's that, that, only child versus are you really being neglected kind of thing that, that crosses my mind because most only children I know have almost an adult relationship with their parents. Yeah. And do get used to spending time by themselves a lot, especially if they're an introvert, which I was. Yeah. So it's I can see where it would be really hard to kind of yeah. suss out what's what's normal only child versus what's, you know, yeah. what's something that needs to be addressed. And I think it's a, it's specifically when a child goes through a trauma mm-hmm. and they especially do not get that support. That's yeah. that's more that's the more obvious. And that was kind of the mm-hmm. case in my situation. But even, you know, again, I'm the youngest of seven. By the time I came around, yeah, there were a lot of things that some of my older siblings did. Like my dad went to 
my two older brothers, I have three older brothers, but my two older brothers, every athletic event they had, he never came to mind. Mm-hmm. So, you know, those, those kind of give you, they send a message, mm-hmm. even though it's not verbally, it, it still sends a message to you. Yeah. So let's talk about the name of this book because it's yeah. Shedding Lies. Yeah. So where did that come from? Yeah. So at the end of every chapter, because when you when you go through trauma or any kind of really difficult time, you can we may tell ourselves stories. You know, again, for me, it was trauma especially does this where you feel like you're a bad person. Something's wrong with you like that. That was what that was a story I had in my head. Something's wrong with me. I wish I would just get over this. I would just wish I would just get better. And so. You know, as I did a lot of work, it was I I realized that those were lies that I told myself. And also the other book that I was a part of is called Depression Lied to Me. And so my chapter, I really kind of talk about the lies. And so that sort of led me into, well, I already have that in my individual book as well. So it's kind of a great connection. Yeah. So that's where the shedding lies because we don't need them. They're not real. And so at the end of every chapter, I write that I forgive myself for buying into the lie, whatever the lie is for that chapter. And then the truth is my family loved me. My family was also traumatized. So there are variety, but each chapter has that at the end and kind of a way to, you know, it's a lesson learned. And so those lies are really pointed out in okay. each chapter. And so for me, it's the power of taking ownership of that lie and rewriting it and reframing it. Mm-hmm. Like, nope, this is this is not real. And this is the reality. And actually, when I, I had done EMDR, which is eye movement desensitization reprocessing, which mm-hmm. is a very highly evidence-based practice for post-traumatic stress disorder hmm. and it life-changing. I mean, life-changing. It was tremendous. And so within that, it helps you to look at the reality of the situation and it helps you to, again, reframe it. And it helps bring these emotions and these things that get stored in your brain so that you can look at them. So mm-hmm. this thinking part of our brain and it helps us to kind of rationally look at those things that like, oh, that's not real at all. That's not Mm -hmm. accurate. Mm -hmm. This is what really happened. And so, you know, again, from all of that work, that really exposed a lot of these lies. And so just over and over again, the term lies came up and in my healing. And so, you know, that to me, that's kind of a coping strategy for sure is, you know, okay, what is that lie? You know, I, I can reframe it and and really look at what's what's accurate and what's true. Yeah, I work a lot with perspective. Yeah. And that's basically to me that that's what you're talking about is that you're bringing it into a place where you can take a different look at it. Yeah. And it's that's been a hugely transformational tool for me in my own yeah. life. Yeah. Is is to be able to back up and especially with those childhood things. I'm old enough now that I can put myself, I can imagine myself at whatever age my parents were or my brother was, you know, at the time. 
and go, holy cow, they were, you know, dealing with all kinds of stuff. It wasn't just me. Yeah. You know, those kinds of perspective changes are incredibly powerful. Yeah. Yeah. And it doesn't take away the trauma. It's just giving you the perspective that they also went through stuff. Right. Right. Or so it made it blaming them for everything you you can forgive them or you can have compassion for what they were going through it just it just changes the dynamic of the whole memory (laughs) yeah absolutely and and for sure it it helps me to have perspective of my family's experiences so yeah yeah we get so caught in our own experience that we forget that everybody else is having their own experience and it may be equally as difficult yeah exactly maybe different reasons but still so yeah. Yeah, that's that's been a big journey of mine to learn how to get that perspective and really take that rational look at it. Yeah. As opposed to that emotional memory that that I carried with me. Yeah. Yeah. So how did all of this lead to the work that you're doing now? Yeah. So in my I in my undergrad degree actually was in physical therapy athletic training and I was doing that work. And though I was still, you know, I was struggling and I drank and, you know, just self-medicated in a variety of different ways and dated guys that weren't really great for me and, you know, again, really needy. So I, I, I did all of those things. And it, I think, especially after the rape, I just felt like I can't keep on, you know, partly because I worked a lot with athletes. It. I felt like I, I just, I didn't want to be in the environment anymore. And so I ended up getting a job with twin girls with developmental disabilities. And they, I worked with a behavior analyst and just loved working with them and just really found that I was naturally good at it. Mm-hmm. And I just understood the the girls and I just had so much empathy and really, I got them. I felt like I got them. And so I wanted to learn more about myself. And, you know, like I said, really the behavior analysis was the first time I kind of had had any experience with that. And so I just wanted to explore it and then ended up, you know, kind of a lot of different situations that happened. But I I ended up just loving special education. And so I went back and got my master's in special education and I actually started my own business with home health agency and providing services to children and adults in the community and in schools and just loved it. And so got my my master's in special education and became a board certified behavior analyst because I wanted to figure myself out. Yeah. And so I'm like, what, you know, I needed to learn more about myself and learn about, learn the skills that I didn't get as a child. And so I started doing that. And you know, again, right around the same time was when I really had that realization and that retreat, just an awakening of I want to do things differently. And so all of it kind of happened at the same time, which then, you know, I just really gravitated towards working with kids with behavior problems. So I worked with kids with all kinds of disabilities, but just really loved the kids with behavior problems. I was not an externalizing. I wasn't I didn't have a whole lot of external behavior problems. I was more of an internalizer. I held it internal. Mm-hmm. But 
I just got these other kids and I had so much empathy for them and loved working with them. And I just, like I said, naturally, it just came to me. And so I just continued to do that. Worked a lot with kids with autism and mm. still do some aspect of that. And especially the kids with emotional disturbance, I, even though I don't like that classification, that's what special education classifies them as. It's those kids with emotional behavior problems and just because they're so misunderstood. And I think I, again, I understood that. Like, yes, I felt always misunderstood mm -hmm. that people didn't really understand me. And so, you know, just really gravitated towards working with them and, you know, working in emotional supports and autistic support classrooms with those populations the most. And then I started doing training at the state level. I got a job at the state and, and really doing more coaching and training for teachers. And what I, you know, really what I realized, and even before that, I was asked to do a lot of training for staff. And, and I'm, I'm like, okay, you know, I guess I was naturally just good at that. Yeah. And so I kind of got put into that position and then you know, worked at the state for several years. I also taught in higher ed and for pre-service teachers. So special education and regular education and just loved that. Mm. And really, especially helping teachers, because I realized as I worked out in schools that they don't get a whole lot of training in higher ed, you know, before they're out. And, and then they just don't really know, especially kids with behavior problems. Those are the kids that, that, teachers struggle with the most. Mm -hmm. And because I already felt an affinity to them, I really wanted to continue to pursue that. So, and I was state project director for, like I said, Safe Schools Healthy Students, which was a big grant that came actually out of the Sandy Hook and the Columbine shootings mm -hmm. and really focusing on prevention and intervention and, and all of the, it was a big, big grant. And so doing that at the state level and just connecting with other states across the country and national partners just really loved doing that. And I was naturally, you know, I was naturally very good at it. Mm -hmm. There were a lot of aspects. And one of my nicknames is Spider Woman because I can connect the dots. Like mm. I can see the big picture things oh. and I can kind of connect the dots. And so, you know, using that skill then helped me to really, and, and especially when we started doing more, uh, having more conversations around trauma, that that naturally led, you know, yeah. me to gravitate towards doing more with that, which now is my business. So, yeah. Yeah. Isn't that interesting to look back at the path that we take and how everything plays a role in it, right? Yeah. Like yep. something happens and it turns you this way and something else happens and it turns you back that way. And then, yeah. Something new pops up and you go, oh, my gosh, that's inciting. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I know. And we get so stuck on that we should be, you know, we should stay on one path. But mm. I always tell everybody, you know, I, like my best advice for some, you know, young women, especially, you don't have to have your life figured out by the time you're 25 or 30 or yeah. 40 or 50. Like, really? Right. There's right. no right or wrong. What You figure out what's best for you. I never really... Not that my parents, not that my family pushed me. It's just, I, I wish somebody would have said that to me because I mm -hmm. always felt like, why can't I just get a job that I stick with, you know? Mm -hmm. And, but I was always, I was always over, always kind of going different places. So, yeah, I actually had a mother who had multiple careers and went back 
to get her doctorate at 63, which is the age I'm about to be in a couple of weeks. And that launched her really strongly into a whole different career that she did until she was in her 70s. And, you know, and I, I, it never occurred to me that I had to have one single job. Yeah, that's good. That's good. And I've had, I've had really three, four distinct careers, if you consider staying home with the kids a career, which it was. It absolutely was. <laughs> so I've I've had four distinct careers, and this last one started in 2018. And yeah. I was 58 years old, you know. So. I know. That's why I'm like, I'm still figuring myself out, you know. And it is. It's, yeah. it's we don't. Yeah. I started, I got my, I just finished, well, I got my doctorate in 2020. And so, yeah, I started in my, let's see, I guess it was in my late, late forties that I started my doctorate. So, mm-hmm. yeah. 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 So there's, there's no, I, I get, I get fascinated by new things. I yeah. get a little bored. It's like, okay, I've mastered that. Yep. <laughs> and then something else comes up. It's like, Ooh, shiny thing. Yeah. Oh yeah. That's but it keeps the me. brain working and it, it keeps me interested and it brings new people into my lives and yeah. into my life and all kinds of wonderful things. So yeah. I have, I'm very much a go where the flow takes me kind of girl. Yeah, so. I totally relate. Yeah. You know, it, it, it is. It's I've embraced my, you know, yeah, my little path of circular, whatever it but is. But if you look back, you can see how everything yeah. you've done has played a role in getting you where you are now. Absolutely. And, and I wouldn't I, trade any of it. Like, no, really, you no. Know? And their skills. I know that I've, I mean, I've been, I was an IT person. I was a software trainer back in 1983 is when I started that. You couldn't even get a degree in that at the time. Yeah. <laughs> and then I stayed home with the kids and then I wrote novels and now I'm a, an intuitive healer and podcaster. <laughs> but in each one of those careers, I had some something I learned about myself or some something I learned, you know, that it from that job. I learned early on with the computer job, I was a great teacher. Yeah. I wasn't trained as a teacher. Right. I just like you, it just came naturally. Yeah. And that continues to be a thread through every job I've had. Yeah. You know, including being a mom. It's yeah, a really yeah. handy one if you're a mom. You know? Yes. Oh yeah, for sure. <laughs> so yeah. it's I just I love to look back at that. And you talking about the spider woman thing, I have that same skill. Yeah. I can see the pieces of the puzzle and how they fit together and where they're missing. And, oh, th- and I can make the intuitive leaps, you know, oh, or we don't yeah. know this part, but I know that comes next, you know, kind of thing. Yeah. And it's, it's fun. It it's is fun. fun. Yeah. yeah. I, I embrace it. Like I said, and it's a real gift. <laughs> it is. It is. It's hard though, because a lot, uh, so many other people don't. Mm-hmm. So trying to fill in stuff, I have to be careful because I, I yes. do ha- also have ADHD. And like being able to communicate that effectively, I've gotten so much better. But, you know, again, through my all of my learning has helped me, you know, between my professional study and, you know, my own personal growth. All of it has helped me to get better at teaching. And I got my doctorate in educational psychology, which is the science of teaching and learning. (laughs) So it's yep took me to the next level because it is it's what I love. So. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I, this is fun. I love talking about this kind of stuff. And I'm so happy that you did create this book because I think it's, it's a important piece of information for a lot of people 
self-knowledge, but also I can see where parents would, would get a lot of useful information from, from the book as well. Yeah. So I think, I think we come to a stopping place. So I'm going to ask you the one question I'm asking everybody, and I did warn you, so you had a little time to think about it. And that is, is there a must-read book you'd like to recommend? Yes. Yeah, for sure. So one of the books that I read early on in my self-study was Bessel van der Kolk, K-O-L-K. It is The Body Keeps Score. Oh, <laughs> yeah. I haven't and read it, but yeah, I understand oh, that. <laughs> it, it is. It was it was life changing. And, and it, he talks about how trauma impacts the body. And it's, you know, just the nerve. Well, he doesn't get into a whole. Well, he does get into some of the neuroscience, but mm-hmm. it like to me that I love learning. And that was just it. It was very freeing because mm-hmm. it helped me to realize some of the things that because I also was diagnosed with four autoimmune diseases. And so mm-hmm. how that trauma, childhood trauma impacts our physical health. Yes. You know, it impacts yeah. every aspect. So anyway, it's very yeah. freeing for me and it kind of cool. really empowered me. So that's my, that's my mastery. I've never heard of that one, but that, that's exactly how I work with clients because they usually come in with some physical thing that's, that's, mm-hmm. they can't get resolved. Yeah. And I help them find the emotional thing that needs yeah. to be dealt with. Yeah. <laughs> You can't ignore it. Doesn't nope. go away. <laughs> nope. The body is going to eventually go out. Yeah. <laughs> you need yep. to pay attention. It's right here in this shoulder right now. Exactly. <laughs> it's so yeah. funny how all that works together. I know. I know. All right. And would Great you book. tell the listeners where they can find you and where they can find your book? Sure. My book is available on Amazon. And right now until March 28th, it is the ebook is 99 cents. And you can also, you can find me at my website at www.katona Lynn Consulting. So it's right there. And I, you can reach out to me. I've got some podcasts that I've already been on that are listed there. I've got some free resources, a few other things that that are there. And also, if you would like to schedule a call with me, and see if we can work together. I'm kind of expanding. I'm, yes, I do a lot with schools and just even supporting teachers and mm-hmm. so, or educational leaders around, especially around trauma sensitive, because most people are really flying blind. And, and so just having a conversation of how can I help you create your environment and, and even working more with families to really kind mm-hmm. of quiet that stress storm that a lot of families deal with at home. So, yeah. My work is kind of overlapped into many areas. Uh, and so I'm, I'd love to have a conversation and just see if, if we may be able to work together. So Great. We'll have all those links in the show notes so you can find those anywhere you like to listen to podcasts. <laughs> Great. All right. Well, I want to thank you, Lynn, for being here and sharing this story with us because it's been very interesting and, and I think it's really useful for people to hear about this kind of thing and and bring it into the light, bring it up into the open. Yeah. And I want to thank the listeners for being here, as always, because we wouldn't be doing this without you out there to receive this and hopefully enjoy it. And I always love to hear feedback if you have particularly found something useful or if you'd like to see something else or have somebody have somebody specific that you'd like to see me interview. I'd love to hear that too. You can email me at lauren at heartlightjoy.com 
or leave it in the comments. I know you can do comments on YouTube and or reviews. I love reviews. Reviews are lovely. And give, if you read Anne's book, please leave her a great review. It makes such a difference in, in how easy it is to find her book. And speaking as a fellow author, those reviews are incredibly appreciated and incredibly valuable. So do, do her a good one too. In the meantime, I look forward to seeing you the next time on Curiously Wise, Practical Spirituality in Action. And stay curious. Thank you so much for joining us today on Curiously Wise. I hope this conversation has left you feeling inspired and curious about the world around and within you. After all, curiosity is the key to growth and understanding. So keep asking questions and exploring new ideas. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider subscribing and or leaving a review. It helps us be found by others. If you're curious to learn more about me or my healing practice, Heartlight Wellness, head over to my website at heartlightjoy.com. Until next time, I'm Lauren Whitting. Stay curious.